remember that. I, I have taught for years, I don't even know how many years, but enough on covenant. It has been covenant, covenant. When you go through the scripture, you see covenant mentioned, covenant talked about. We've explained the covenants from Genesis all the way back through Revelation. We've introduced them and what they mean and how those were made and defining the old covenant versus the new covenant and how they play into that. We've talked about covenant left and right, but I've really never taken the time to teach what covenant is and how covenant plays into understanding scripture, understanding prayer, understanding our salvation and how that all ties together. And so I want to take some time tonight to talk about some things, but this is going to be an ongoing series. We're going to continue to walk through and begin to teach on this understanding so that by the time you're done with this, your concept of Scripture, your concept of your relationship with God will be completely different. I guarantee that or your money back, okay? So I, I want you to grab hold of this. I want to take a look at the first scripture, just sort of introduce the idea to us that that's found when Jesus is at the table with his disciples and he shares this part of the, of the, of the Passover meal. He says, in the same, it says in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the what? New covenant. Now we've spent time talking about what the new covenant is and we'll probably talk a little bit about that later on, but it, is the, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So obviously that has absolutely, I don't know what that means, kind of thing going on. We talk about this cup is the new covenant. What, how, how does that make sense? Well, we're going to get into that, but I want to take some time here tonight to begin to share with you some things from my walk as well as what we're looking at. And I hope you have some paper because there are some specific categories we need to get down as we set this foundation tonight in order to begin to go further. Now, I've studied the scriptures and their characters, as you well know, and I, I became, when I did so years ago, I became aware that they knew something that I did not know. That, that something that seemed to exert itself and have a tremendous influence over the way that they understood God and his salvation. As I looked at the scripture, they, they had this bold faith and they exercised, you know, that they exercised with authority, and, and that was in the response to that something they had, something they knew, something they understood. And as I studied the Psalms and I took a look at the prayers of men and women of God that are recorded in the scriptures, I became aware that their praying and their worshiping was in response to a revelation that they had of that something. It became, really when you look at it, it becomes obvious that whatever it was, it was the foundation upon which the people of God would build their lives. That something was the secret of their life and walk with God and the basis of their exploits that were done in his name. Now, it shows up the most in the New Testament, where, again, I, 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 I took a look at this and was aware that the believers were responding to something that, I, I, at that time, I didn't even know was there. They seemed to look at salvation through a different lens than the one that I was using. You know, I understood salvation, but it seems like they got... They had something different. And, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I had been raised to see my salvation was, you know, in, in several different ways. But one of the models was that of a courtroom where you know, I was a condemned prisoner. I was supposed to die under the sentence of death. And the judge took my place and paid my penalty. And I was justified and I was declared righteous. And that's a good, that's a useful model. But it lacks something, something I, I just could not put my finger on. And as I read and reread the pages of the New Testament, I realized that the Spirit was the writer's very life. Uh, the, 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 this very Spirit was the way they defined and understood their salvation. They knew Him not merely in a, a static experience, but 
as the entire context of their lives. And, and it was obvious that they, they did not have a second or a third kind of an experience that catapulted them into this dimension of living, okay? There was something they knew by which they were able to interpret the cross, the bloodshedding of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit that, that I, I had on a clue on. I knew absolutely nothing about. That same something gave the definition to the work of the Spirit in each of their individual lives and in the community of the believers that was seemingly <laughs> light years beyond anything I'd experienced. This, and what I want to call it, is covenant core. Covenant core. I discovered was the something that I didn't know about at that time. It was the covenant that God had made with his people. It, it's difficult even for me now to, to remember how I looked at the scripture before I came to see and understand the covenant. It's been a long time since I've been walking, but I, I certainly did not see that everything was working out from the hidden core of the covenant. I, see, I had a belief system that was, I, I, I'll call it incoherent, okay? Each part seemed to stand by itself, sort of like an island out in the, out in the sea somewhere, and, and it was called Christianity. And, and no part really had any real revelation to the other parts. I believe God was the creator of the universe, but I did not see how that related to my salvation. Salvation was the act of God's love, but it just happened without any connection to certain commitments that he had made. Now, now honestly, my, my experience of the Spirit, whew, glorious, and, and, but that seemed to be an add-on to being saved from sin. I did not see it as a vital part to everything else. It all lacked the something to tie it together. The promises of God were the word of God and utterly reliable, but again, they all hung out there in their own space with no relationship to a commitment in blood that God had made. We sang a lot about it tonight, but it just, they, they just sort of hang there. Faith was a mystery to me, and, 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 and I pondered as I looked at these guys, the authority, the, the, that, 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 that authority which which the, 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 the heroes of Scripture seemed to speak. And I wondered where the authority came for them to speak these wonders of God and for God to honor their words. I did not realize they were speaking out from a prior commitment that God had made to them. Now, prayer for me fell into the same category. What did it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It, it, it seemed, you know, limiting and liberating at the same time, but I did not know that his name was at the heart of covenant. Even the praise, the thanksgiving, the worship in the Psalms were thanking him for, again, something which I did not realize was his covenant and loyal covenant love. The discovery for me of the new test or the new covenant made in the blood of God shed from his wounds uh, gave to me literally a new Bible. I was introduced to a rest in Christ and an understanding of the place of the Spirit in my personal life and of the church that I had never known prior to my discovering and understanding the covenant, which, by the way, took a long time. The tragedy is that a vast majority of believers entering the 21st century are blind to the fact that God announces and empowers them to be included in such a relationship with him. And, 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 and because we don't recognize that calling, we settle for the weekly round of church services, attempts at, at prayer and 
and, and Bible study and, and the keeping of rules that deal for the most part with the physical life. I have met a lot of Christians who push their lives along about to throw it then into the ditch because although they have outwardness of, understand, of, 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 of a Christian, they do not know the power, the powerful energy that is in the heart of the believer's life. They're, they're pushing themselves to a point of exhaustion when they should be propelled by the energy of another. So, you know, what is the gospel? If we believe, if, if what we believe to be the gospel is, is not the power of God unto salvation, then we need to ask if we understand it at all. What is biblical faith? For many, <laughs> it is the religious version of faith that is spoken of by the writers of self-help books. How, 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 how do we stop being terrified of God and begin to truly love Him? Is it possible to be his friend as well as being his servant? Now, what is true holiness? Is it, I mean, it's, it's got to be more than just keeping a list of external rules in that sense. What did Jesus mean of the phrase, I in you and you in me? Sounds like a, 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 like a, you know, a lot more than just simply going to church twice a week. I'll say that to you guys because you twice a weekers? You know, how do we overcome temptation? Is it a matter of strong willpower or determination? How is it possible to love unlovable people? How can we love one another as Jesus loved us? How can we forgive the unforgivable? You know, let's get down to the 600-pound gorilla in the room, so to speak, when it comes to these things. Because so many are hiding behind a mask of Christian activity, going through the motions and keeping what I would call the surface rules that give the appearance of loving God. And a life of loving God and, and honesty and, and joyful, wanting to do His will, you know, from, from the heart for a lot is nothing more than a mirage in the spiritual desert wilderness that they live in. There's a lot that are in despair, and let's face it, a lot have given up all hope of living the kind of Christian life that they see reflected in the New Testament. Why? Most of these people, I know, I, I know them, they're sincere trying to do what they believe God demands of them. As, as best they know how, they believe the gospel. So, so why are lives, let's be real, amongst believers, amongst Christians, so shallow and empty? I mean, let's be real. Let's ask ourselves, is it possible that, that people have not grasped what the gospel is really about? Is it possible that, that, that they have heard only parts of the gospel while missing the, 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 the vital ingredients. The weekly diet, let's face it, of a lot of Christians is a call to escape hell and get to heaven. That is after they die. And many of the best-selling Christian books, you know, they deal with the intricate details of like, say, end-time prophecy. But how to live in the power of the Spirit to walk as Jesus walked and loved as he loved, are questions that are rarely talked about. Friend, Christianity works in the here and the now. It empowers us to live in heaven on the way to heaven. How? You know, I'm going to ask questions all the way through this, but the answer isn't to be found in understanding the gospel. That I'm sorry, the understanding is to be found in understanding that the gospel is the announcement of God's covenants and how we can walk in its authority and power in the midst of, of a dark world, in this world system that we're, we're facing and dealing with. But let me warn you, as I, again I say, as we walk through this, it is, it is possible that I am going to huh, 
uh, you know, what I'm going to share with you over the next several weeks may turn your present understanding of the gospel and the way the Christian life should be lived on its head, as, let's face it, in, in a lot of ways it should be. If your present understanding of the gospel is not producing fruit in your life, then it's time to say, maybe I have missed something, and it's time to radically re-examine my faith. The gospel is looking at it through the eyes and ears of those who first heard it. Words that are familiar with through the reading of the Bible were pregnant with a meaning to the original audience that, that, that we who live now in this century are ignorant of in a lot of ways. They understood the gospel as the working out of a covenant. The concept of covenant is, is almost unknown in the Western world here. But the truth is the concept of covenants is known and is documented in ancient societies and among peoples of the, of the third world even today. If you want to get an understanding of how the Middle East, Asia, all those countries over in there operate, you need to understand covenant. Because the people who populate the pages of our stories of our Bible lived in the atmosphere of covenants as the air they breathed. It was their life. All relationships were, were linked in, in some way or another to covenant whether in the union of the nations or the clans or individuals. The family unit was understood as a covenant. Each family member being tightly knit to the others was a sense of covenant responsibility. The Bible contains two documents that have been, in my book, unfortunately named the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament really is not adequate to describe what these two documents literally are. The correct naming of these two documents are the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the covenant that was made with Israel on Mount Sinai through Moses, who was their representative. It was the covenant of the law that we know as the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system of, of offering up lambs and bulls and goats to cover the sins of the people. The, the mark and seal of membership into the covenant was the circumcision of the male. Now, the new covenant is called new because it made all that went before it old and of no more use as a means of salvation. It was not just another covenant that improved on the previous one as, you know, like, like this year's 2022 car models is an improvement over last year's. The word new, as I've shared to, with you before in Galatians, the word new means new in kind. It's, it's never been seen before. It's never been thought of. It's never been dreamed of. This covenant is meditated, or I'm sorry, mediated by the Lord Jesus and is established in his blood. When, when you come to membership is, is, is in being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Who, who writes the law on our hearts and in the desires of us. He is the power of the covenant enabling those within it to live in its promises. The English word for covenant comes from the Latin convenir, which literally means to come together or to agree. The Hebrew word is bereth, which is B-E-R-I-T-H, which literally means to bind or to fetter, a, a binding obligation. In the scripture, it is in the ultimate expression of committed love and trust and was usually made to define, uh, to confirm, to establish, to, to, to make binding a relationship that had been in the making for some time. So we need a working definition of a covenant that we can explain in detail as we go through this study. So I want to give us a definition here of a covenant that we'll use throughout this study. It's simply this. A covenant 
is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love, sealed by blood and sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. In fact, I'll challenge you. I'm sure most of you have Bible programs. Just, just go into the search and type in covenant and see how many references come up as a result. But as you look at this, the parties to the covenant place themselves under the penalty of divine retribution if they would later attempt to avoid the, under, or the undertaking. It is a relationship that can only be broken by death. In the Bible, we see covenants that, for the most part, are what we would call unequal covenants. That is, that they're made unilaterally, initiated by, let's say, a person who is vastly superior in power and authority, and graciously, as a result, they impose that on a person of lesser power for, for, and, and, and lesser position for their greater good. In the making of covenants between clans and tribes and people, there were, were certain ingredients that were always present. And, and we'll see that in, the, in making covenant with us, what God does is he, pattern, he used the pattern of, of human covenant making. So by having an understanding of the ingredients that make, that, that make up a human covenant, we can better, as a result, understand the covenant that God has made with us in Jesus Christ. So I want to give you several bullet points, if I can give. The first one I'm going to give you is, let's talk about the representative. This, these are the ingredients I want you to understand that are going to be in covenant, the representative. So when a group of people prepared to enter into a covenant with another party, they selected a man from amongst themselves to represent them in the covenant making. Understand that. A man from amongst themselves to represent them. The word represent means to present again, to represent the will of another, to speak and act with authority on the part of another to be a substitute or agent for. Now, knowing the needs and the desires of those that he represents, the representative represents their case, speaking as and for them to the other party that's standing in front of them of the covenant. The representative had to be of the same blood and family of those he represented. As representative, he gathered the tribe. He gathered the clan, the family into himself and made the covenant as and for them. So grab that, if you will, real quick, because the representative is also known as the guarantor or the guarantor of the covenant. And, and the one in and through whom that covenant then is made, and, and who is the, again, guarantee that in terms and promises of that covenant will be kept. Now, I'll say this again. This is going to be difficult for us as Westerners to understand because we think of life as beginning and ending with the individual. But the Bible introduces us to a different way of thinking in which people are in a representative person whose actions and achievements become the actions and achievements of the whole family. And, 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 and it could be the tribe. or who, the, the, For example, let me explain this out of Scripture. The, the, you got the story of David and Goliath. I don't think you've probably ever looked at it this way, but let me explain it this way. Uh, from 1 Samuel 17, it perfectly illustrates this way of thinking. You, what you've got here to, to preface it is that the Philistine armies had declared a, a war of aggression on, on Israel, and you have King Saul who then you know, sort of musters up all of his troops. And, and as a result of that, he, you know, the Philistines were all tall people, okay? 
<laughs> I say that reluctantly because I kind of know the feeling of being an Israelite standing with a lot of tall people. But these guys were trained warriors that would strike terror into their enemy's mind. They, they would wear brass armor, and as a result, they had tall feathered headdresses uh, that, that were on top of their helmets. And it, it caused them to appear taller than they really were. Uh, there were some in their rank who were, were massive. They, they were giant men towering up to nine feet tall. And Goliath of Gath was such a giant and was the hero champion of the Philistine army. So before the fighting began, Goliath steps out and he yells this challenge across the valley. It sounds strange to us. Uh, I mean, I mean uh, it's definitely different than the kind of conduct we'd have today in a war. But he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and he said this. He said, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now that just sounds like a challenge, don't it? But he was saying that he was the that he represented the Philistines in a sense, had become them so that their history is wrapped up in him. When he would fight a, a similar representative of Israel then, it would be the end of the war. The whole issue would be settled in two men who embodied their people. Saul was the tallest man in Israel, but he kind of, you know, hid out in the tent and as a result, offered some prizes to the guy who would accept the challenge that Goliath reissued every morning and every evening. But no one accepted that challenge or the prize of the hand of the princess in marriage or a lifetime of being free from taxes. Boy, doesn't that sound good today? But as the weeks pass, this, this huge, monstrous guy became bold and he would lumber across the valley, so to speak, walking, pacing, back and forth. And he would hurl his challenges in the faces of Israel as they continued to cower down. The Israelites had literally lost this war by default because they all had to, you know, all they had to do was at this point was probably just surrender and get out of their, their, their position that they're in. But it's... It's six weeks of humiliation for the Israelite army. And, and, and then back in Bethlehem, you've got old Jesse, who's father of, of David's brothers who are soldiers in the front line. And he called for David, who was too young to be called to the army. And he basically was left at home to care for the sheep. He introduced, well, he, well, First of all, he instructs David to find out what's happening in the battle and to give him some and he gave him some gifts to give to his brother. So David arrives just in time to hear the morning challenge along with oaths and curses that are directed at the at the men whom whom Goliath called, if you remember, yellow cowards, cowards of Saul. David did not know that this had been going on for 6 weeks. And so as he hears it, he turns and looks expectantly at his brothers to see who would be the first one that's going to answer that challenge. <laughs> then they reluctantly tell him the story of their army that did not have a representative champion. So David immediately volunteers. And King Saul could not really refuse here. I mean, David was an Israelite, and therefore he was qualified as one who could take the place of Israel. He was given permission to go out and fight Goliath. Now, I understand how the army of, of Israel looked at 
this when the news was shouted throughout those tents and the trenches that a representative had been found in Israel and that Israel had a champion. He didn't, he, well, he didn't look like much of a threat to, to Goliath. I mean, he's a shepherd kid without armor and with just a slingshot in his hand. But he ex- just, it poured out of him. He exuded a, a, a this confidence in God. And as he left the ranks of the army to follow this, this huge giant, weighted down in all that armor, he, he, he ceased to be a private citizen of Israel. He now is fully aware of the needs of Israel. He, has, he was representing them. And, and as they, because of, of their cowardice back there, were unable to present themselves, he, as a result, summed up Israel in himself, embodying its people. Because what happened to him this day happened to the entire nation. His victory or his defeat would be felt not only in the army, but also in every village and city of Israel in the lives of people who were not there at the battlefront. At that moment, the history of an Israelite who wasn't born at that particular time is being decided. In David, you got present and you've got future Israel when he goes out to face Goliath. And, and Goliath had not yet even reached the, the, his own front lines when David comes dancing behind him, issuing the challenge. David, David said to the Philistine, take a look at it. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so he dances around this huge guy, and he takes out his swing, his swingshot, his slingshot swinging it, I'll get it out. But he's, you know, and there, as you know, was a very small hole in Goliath's helmet that, that David aimed for. And, and, and with the expertise of David in his slingshot and the grace of God, that stone went through and it struck and sunk into the Philistines' bait. Well, I should go there. Temple. The, the, he staggers. He falls. David took the, you know, the giant's own gigantic sword, and off with his head. And behind him, there's an eruption. There's this shout of triumph that goes up from from the watching Israelites of what's going on. They they shouted the victory, and and they pour down the, 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 the sides of the valley, and they go after all the stunned Philistines. Listen, think about it. They shouted of a victory to which they had contributed nothing except six weeks of cowardness. But they're correct. It was their victory, for they had been in the representative and shared his victory as if it was their own. But without him, there is no victory, for he was the guarantor of it. So you have the representative. Now you have the covenant oath that I want to talk about because we may feel strange with that that word covenant and the the concepts that are attached to it because the word is, again, rarely used. And even when it is used, it's confused with the word we use as contract. Well, let's get the the, the concept of of a contract out of our heads right away. A contract is, is a vehicle where uh, you know properties and goods are conveyed from one person to another. Contracts are negotiable by both parties. They can be changed. They can even be canceled. Now, in a, in, in a contract, you have promises that are made, but they're only as good 
as the character of, of the person whose signatures are on the document. Therefore, you know as well as I do, they can be easily broken. Covenant is totally different. A covenant is far above the exchange of properties or things. It is the giving of one's whole person and life to another and the wholehearted receiving of that other person and his life or her life. A covenant is made with an oath. An oath is a solemn affirmation. It is a binding of oneself to the fulfillment of the words that are spoken while appealing to God. The covenant partners of the Old Testament times called upon God to be their witness of the truth of their words, in other words. They, they're also called, they also called upon God to be their, their strength in keeping of the covenant terms. And finally, they called upon God to keep an ever-present watch over the parties to ensure that the covenant was indeed being kept. So by calling on God while making an oath, the two parties made God the third party to the covenant. And once made with the oath, a covenant was non-negotiable and could not be altered, as you could remember, for example, with Joshua. When you have the... Well, okay, I'm, I got 16 places I can go here, but right now let me just say this. When such oaths are taken... You have an expression at the end. You know it. You've heard it. So help me God. That's the phrase that's used. The phrase means that if the words given in testimony are, are false or if the person betrays them, then God will be the person's judge. Let me give you another one here. Uh, it's called the covenant blessing or promises. Every covenant of the Old Testament times contained the promises or terms. Each party would then make to the other and the responsibilities that each took. When, when, when the benefit of the other party was, well, it came in view as a result. It, for example, in 1 Samuel 20, you have a covenant that's made between David and Jonathan, and, and David swore to bless Jonathan. This is what he says, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I, that I uh, well, may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of my enemies of David from the face of the earth. Now, as that's made, let me, let me, let me just say it this way. You'll remember Jonathan dies with his father, King Saul, and years later then, David blessed Mephibosheth with the blessing he had sworn in covenant oath to Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. So David said to him in, in, in chapter 9, he says, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now, such promises, terms, responsibilities, they were often written down and read at certain specific times in remembrance of covenant being made. Then you have the covenant sacrifice. That's the next one. At the making of a covenant, there was always the shedding of blood. You have an animal that was slain and its carcass then was split down the middle into two halves. And the parties making covenant would walk through the bloody path between the places of the divided animal. And, and, and when you're, it's, it's very, well, vivid symbolism here, okay? They, they proclaimed that they were entering into a death and were journeying into a new life. They were dying to the living for their self-interest alone and passing through the death to a new relationship of union with the other party to the covenant. They also shed their own blood, as you know, usually drawn you know, from, from the right arm or, or from the hand, and, and, and they would raise their bleeding arms up, calling upon God to be their witnesses. The combination of bloody sacrifice 
and their own bloodshed combined to give this powerful statement that each was implicitly making. It is, I will keep this covenant even if my blood has to be shed in order to do so. If I break this covenant, may my blood be shed and my dismembered body thrown to the scavengers. That's pretty, pretty heavy. In Genesis chapter 31, beginning with verse 43, it describes the covenant between Jacob and Laban. Remember those two? Neither of them trusted each other, and at best, it was a shaky agreement. However, in verse 48, they attach an oath to it. Look at it. Therefore, it is, its name was called Galid, also Mithvah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another, although no man is with us. See, God is witness between you and me. Now, having called upon God to witness and to watch over the covenant, they both knew that they could never break the promises of covenant and get away with it. The next thing I want you to, uh, to, to also see how that plays in and is a part of this is the covenant seal then. And, and you have, remember the scars from the wounds in their arms? Uh, they were the seals in their bodies of the participants declaring that they were the parties to the covenant. In other words, you want to know what the covenant is all about, what were the terms? That's the person. Look for the guy with the scar. They were, they were carried in pride, and they identified them as the covenant partners. And, and so often the names of the covenant makers were joined. You know, it wasn't just John and Joe. It's now Joe John and John Joe. So as, as a result, as, as making their, that, that name, they were announcing that they were joined as one by blood covenant. Then you have covenant friends. Covenant friends. Now, from the making of the covenant, the two parties would be described as friends, okay? Now, the word friend has been greatly cheapened in the uh, language of our culture. But in societies where covenant making is practiced, where it's understood, there's no higher honor than to be called a person's friend. It, it announces a covenant relationship. And, and grab it, because it's what explains why Abraham is called the friend of God in the Scripture. It is the title that is the constant reminder that God made covenant with Abraham. When you hear Abraham, friend of God, it is, it is the reminder, hey, God made covenant with him. You know, mm, look at it. It says, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Then you have this next one. It's called covenant meal. You see that summed up in the Passover, the Last Supper, as we call it. Look, every, every covenant ended with a meal that declared the covenant is now valid and in effect and functioning in the lives of the parties that, that, that are joined to it. This, it's a very huge, important part of covenant making. The meal declared the covenant as the two representatives would eat of the same bread and drink of the same wine, telling the world that they were one, partaking one of another. Uh, we, we have illust and illustrations of such in, 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 the, in the Bible, being meals being eaten in the context of making this covenant between men. It says, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. Let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now take note that it was sealed with a meal 
at the place of the covenant. In, in, in Genesis 31 there, it says, Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. <laughs> now that kind of allows me to just slide into this next one, which is the memorial or place of the covenant making. The place where a covenant or the covenant was made was hollowed as the memorial site of the two parties becoming one. Sometimes there was this enduring memorial set up to remind uh, succeeding generations that, you know, this had taken place. And sometimes the name of the place would be changed to reflect the covenant that was made. Let me skip to the next one real quick here. Loving kindness, huge. To become a part of a covenant was to enter into a new situation, becoming part of a relationship that is best understood as, as, as a family, not based on birth ties, but on a commitment of love that's freely given and that is bound with a sacred oath. The oath created this, this, this new kind of family-bound togetherness <laughs> with this unbelievable life and death relationship. So among the Arabs to this very day even is the saying, and you know it, blood is thicker than milk, meaning that those who are bound by a blood covenant are held in a stronger bond than those who have drunk of the same mother's milk. The covenant was made, the covenant that was made to, 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 to be worked out for the duration of the two parties' lives covered all circumstances and situations. The word hasid, H-E-S-E-D, is the Hebrew word that's used to describe the ongoing relationship of the parties in covenant who worked out the commitment that was made in the covenant, the keeping of its promises and responsibilities. Hasid is a difficult word to really translate into the language of the Western world. And, 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 and I mean, that's, that's simply because we're a society that knows very little of the commitment that's involved in being part of a covenant. And, and, and various translations within the scripture, different words are used to catch aspects uh, of the meaning of this word, or to try to kind of encompass the entire meaning. You'll find it translated as mercy, goodness, steadfast love, loyal love, covenant love, loving kindness, or simply just kindness. Most of the time that we talk about it here, we'll use the English word loving kindness to translate that Hebrew word, hasid. The most amazing news to be announced to the human race is that God, in his unconditional love for us, has called us to participate in the most intimate relationship and unbreakable bond known among humans or, or capable of being expressed in any language. He has called us to covenant relationship with himself to come into the circle of friendship in which God and humanity are bound together in an intimate love union. This covenant is the content of the gospel. It is called the new covenant. It consists of the everlasting oath of God, the shedding of the blood of God in the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and ascension to the Father. The Holy Spirit was sent to make the covenant a reality in our lives, in the lives of those who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And friend, believe me when I tell you what I'm doing over the next number of weeks, this is scratching the surface. This is just simply the foundation of giving you some terms. I want to teach you how this becomes life not some intellectual understanding. This changes 
how you relate, understand, and know your relationship with God. It is a it is it is it it it, it pushes religion out the door and brings in an understanding where David would be able to say, I shall not be moved like a tree planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your speaking into our hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, just create in us a hunger like we've never known because we know there's something more here. We know there's something deeper, something real, something that, that, that just pulls on us, identifies within our hearts that says there's got to be more here. I, 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 Lord, teach us. Holy Spirit, bring to us revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what this is all about so that we can walk with those from Scripture and smile knowing that we understand what they understood and allowing that which they understood to change them to allow it to change us, to know that we are indeed friends of God. Holy Spirit, continue to stir us in knowing you and your presence, the promises, the conditions of the covenant, all that is ours because of Jesus Christ, who is, according to Hebrews, our mediator of the new covenant. He's our representative. Everything is included in him. Bless them, I pray. Encourage us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? I'll, I'll dismiss you here. I know I'm probably, oh man, I am late, ain't I? But let me just say it from this standpoint, and I've said it to you before. Hopefully you'll gather this even more, but is, have you ever stopped to think why when Jesus rose from the dead, he would have the scars in his hands and his feet and that which was in his side. All the other stuff was gone. He didn't have the thorns. His body wasn't broken. The stripes on his back were gone. I mean, he comes out and he has resurrection body. But he has the scars in his hand and in his feet and in his side. Why? Because he's our covenant representative. He's the guy that's gotten the marks. If you have a question about the covenant, you go to the covenant representative. That shows me I was in him. He represented me. All that I am is in him. We're just scratching the surface here, friends. There's much, much more. Can't wait to get back here next week. God's got some things in store for us. Bless him, Lord. Keep him. Hey, these altars are open. You want to find a place of prayer for a while? They're open for you. God bless you. Increase you. Protect you. Impart his health to you. In Jesus' name, amen.